Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel, joined by my co-host, Mike Popovic. Pat Donahue's not with us this week. Um, we're going to talk a little Maryland football. Unfortunately, a uh, second straight loss to talk about. Ugly one to, to Illinois on homecoming. But we are going to talk some basketball, given that it's the bye week. We don't have a football game to preview next week. So we're going to take just like a basic look at the, the basketball roster with the season set to start here in a few weeks. It always sneaks up on us. But Mike, let's start with the football game against Illinois. 27-24 loss. Illinois wins it on a walk-off field goal at the last second. It seems like watching this game, to me, it felt like watching a Maryland team from like two or three years ago, where they were falling into the, a lot of the same mistakes in all three phases. There wasn't a ton of energy on the field, on the sideline. It didn't feel like a lot of people wanted to be there. Not exactly the energy that you expected on a homecoming game. I know you were there. So just give me your your impressions of the game overall. Yeah, and I agree with you. And it, it, it had the setup, and I, I was concerned about coming into this game because maybe there'd be a hangover from the Ohio State loss. You have the bye week coming up, and then you've got an Illinois team that was 2-4 and four and was 0-3 in the Big Ten. And then on top of that, you had some key guys out for Maryland as well with Deitches, uh, Bullock, and Still, and Trader. So the combination of those four things had me concerned prior to the game. Um, also, knowing that you know, Illinois, I think, is probably a little bit better than their what the record indicated. Um, but, yeah, it, it had the makings for what could be an ugly game. Um, and as it turned out, it, it, it was. I mean, I, they, they played well in spurts but obviously not consistent enough, and we haven't seen that four-quarter game, and what a lost opportunity on a number of different levels. Yeah, and a slow start for sure. Uh, Illinois gets the early touchdown, goes up 7 nothing. a blown coverage by Jaquan Shepard, which it feels like we are saying every other week at this point. He did have some nice plays later in the game defensively, to his credit, including one that resulted in a turnover for Maryland. But we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. And one of the things that really stood out just looking at the box score, not even looking at the play on the field, 5 for 15 on third downs. Now, Maryland's offense to this point this season has been pretty good on third downs. I think losing or being without Corey Deitches definitely hurts you there. He's a favorite target on third downs over the middle. You didn't have that threat. Um, but that kills you, uh, the inability to sustain really long drives um, five for 15 on third downs, explosive plays also really hard to come by. Um, Talia's longest pass was 27 yards. So they were attempting plays down the field. None of them were hitting. He was overthrowing some balls. He did have one that resulted in a, a pass interference that was underthrown. The receiver couldn't get back to the ball. Um, and as far as big plays that you may, you talk about in the game, um, a fumble by Caden Prather towards the end of the second quarter that cost him the chance at points going into halftime. And Mike, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks because now this is the third game in a row where Maryland had the ball in opponent territory late in the second quarter, 
came away with zero points against Indiana. Jay Sean Jones couldn't get out of bounds in time to get a field goal opportunity off. Last week, Talia Tungavailoa checks the ball down in bounds. Clock runs out before they can get the field goal team on. And then in this this game, Caden Prather fumbles the ball while they were driving, and you can't get points. And talk about mo- a momentum killer. That gave you it would have given you an opportunity to really have some momentum going into halftime, especially with Illinois getting the ball first in the second half. Brett Bieleman talked about it right after the game, the opportunity to double dip. That was big for them. Yeah, I mean, all, all very well said. And on top of that, you had what I thought was an ill-advised onside kick to begin the second half as well. But going back to your point, though, about the end of the first half, uh, that now two out of those three games have come up and, and bit them. And and that was, that was a change in the game there where if the Terps go down and score, maybe we're talking about a different, you know, a different game. But that certainly seemed to not that, Again, as we talked about, not that Maryland got off to a great start, but that certainly, in a lot of ways, seemed to to turn the tide uh, for Illinois. And on top of that, even though I understand the game was tied at halftime, you felt, though, that that was a, a momentum uh, killer, certainly for Maryland, and, and that added momentum uh, and confidence for Illinois. Um, and on top of that, penalties reared their ugly head in the game when that had not been an issue uh, for the last couple of games. Yeah, only five penalties, but it seems like every single one of them was to to extend a drive by Illinois. I know there was a couple on one of their touchdown drives. It may have been the touchdown drive that Mike Loxley called a timeout on a field goal attempt. They brought the offense back on after rethinking it and got a touchdown at the goal line. Um, some, well, one of those on the Prather fumble play, now it doesn't mean that he may not have fumbled, but it, it, who knows how it goes but it was a third and three on Maryland's fifth offensive driver. They started at their own 43, and there was a false start. So you go from a third to third and three to a third and eight. Yeah, and like I said, five penalties, but it's a lot different when those five penalties seem to all play major roles in the game. A lot of them were personal fouls. I mean, five penalties, but 60 penalty yards. So yeah, that's, I mean, one of them's roughing the passer. Yeah. It's on an incompletion. That's half yeah. the distance to the goal. Uh, you also had hands to the face on the same series. Uh, yeah, that, that didn't that that didn't help. So. Yeah, and some of the play calling was a little bit suspect. That third down call late in the fourth quarter, Josh got his third and six. Maryland barely in field goal range, and you really can't even say that with Jack Howes. I mean, he he's been okay from short yardage, but anything over forty is kind of a train wreck at this point, and it's it's not it's, even fifty fifty. I mean, it's pretty likely he's probably going to miss it. And yet, it fun, but funny, he makes the field goal. He the, did. At the end to tie the game. But no, yeah. I, you're right. But that did factor into some of their decision-making earlier in the game, to your point, after he missed it early on. I just, on a third and six, late in the fourth quarter, and you run the ball. And it's not, I don't know. I mean, I get it if you get a certain look and, and you think, but maybe earlier in the game, but you have one of the best, maybe the best quarterback in the Big Ten, put it in his hands. Third and six. No matter what the look is that you get, give him options. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, Looking at the defensive side of the ball, on the positive side, Maryland's pass rush looked better than it has all year. Five sacks, but too many explosive plays in the passing game. Definitely missed Tarheeb Still and um, Dante Trader. Um, You talk about a guy like Isaiah Williams, who is Illinois' obviously best receiver, got his first touchdown of the year in this game, but has been one of the best, if not the best receiver statistically in the Big Ten this year. Um, you look at 
where he lines up on the field. Tarheeb still a slot guy, um, nickel guy. They obviously missed his presence here. Um, like I mentioned, Jaquan Shepard, pretty inconsistent, um, blown coverage, and then and then did better later. But I think they definitely missed Still and Trader in this game in the secondary, allowing Luke Altmaier to, to make some big plays down the field in the passing game, which extended a lot of drives. Well, and you talk about the first drive, which was a touchdown, and the one-on-one there, and then you take a look at late in the game after Maryland ties it up, what would be you know, the winning score for um, for Illinois um, ultimately was started on a big pass completion to Corey Washington, to Corey Coley. We talked about the fact that they had three really good receivers, and that was going to be a challenge for the Terps, even if you had those guys to the secondary, which you certainly could have used, and I'm not saying things would have been different, but either way, it presented a big challenge to Maryland's secondary. Yeah, and I know Mike Loxley was worried coming into this game about the physical nature of the receivers, and they definitely proved that that, that was a legitimate concern, and they out-physicaled Maryland in a lot of different ways. The front seven was out-physicaled a lot by Caden Feagan and Illinois' running game, a running game that hasn't done a whole lot to this point this season. It's been very inconsistent, but Brett Bielema, very good at uh, – at scheming up offensive lines. Um, I know they mentioned on the broadcast he's taken a more active role in the offense starting this week, so they expected a strong running game, and they got it. Caden Feagan didn't break off any big runs, but definitely extended some drives for them with his physical running. Uh, And I'd have to go back to the play-by-play-by-play. Now, you take a look. Their average per carry was 3.4, but Fagan's was 4.4. And it just seemed like being at the game, it seemed like Illinois on first down would just be able to get positive yardage every time for four, five, six, seven yards. You're right. His longest rush was only 12, but it was death by a thousand cuts that on first down, a lot of times Maryland, Maryland could not stop the run and they set themselves up in good situations as they would go down the field. And that made it difficult. So you had you had that aspect of it. You had the fact that in the first half, Maryland only ran for 29 yards. It was three of eight on third down. And you know those all together with some of the penalties, which some were critical in the second half, some were in the first half, and lack of energy, it seemed like. And you know that's the, the, all big factors in the loss. Yeah, and special teams struggled as well. It really was all three phases. Kickoff punt coverage were both pretty bad. Illinois had a 43-yard kickoff return and a 31-yard punt return in the game. And it just felt like both of those gave them massive momentum. I think both of them came in the second half of the game. Um, And that's things that you just can't have. You want to flip the field. You want to have good starting field position defensively. And you're just gifting a team that needs all the help that they could get based on their 2-4 and start, 0-3 in the Big Ten. You didn't need to give them you didn't they didn't need all that help and that's that's ultimately one of the things uh, that led to the loss yeah and, and going through again some of the notes here and this is just something that you would think with a, a quarterback with the experience that Leah has I'm looking here on a third and five at the nine yard line I think this was in the second half on Maryland's third offensive drive and I wrote down here linebacker blitz the a gap so the outside linebacker to Leah's right or the defense is left, was unblocked because of the linebacker blitzing the A-gap. All five linemen were manned up with 
guys. So that left a, an unblocked linebacker. And you would think that once you see that, there are the potential that you would adjust to that side that the linebacker's blitzing and that Leah and the receiver would throw a pass to that vacated area or something over there because he's unblocked. And if you're going to try to throw to the left, well, you better get rid of it quick or you're going to have an issue. And that never happened. And as it turns out, it was an incompletion, never made the adjustment on that side, got pressured, and you know, you're forced to you're forced to punt, and then you give good field position to uh, you know, to Illinois. Yeah, and like you mentioned, in this game it really was about all those little things that all added up. They didn't play completely poorly. They looked good at times. They scored yeah. twenty four points, but it was those little things that allowed Illinois to stay in the game. And we talked about it last week. You couldn't allow Illinois to hang around in this game because they're more than talented enough to win. And that's exactly what they did because you allowed them to hang around, get momentum, get confidence as the game went on. Um, and it just it just feels like every single year, and I know I, I, I mentioned it to you as, right before we hopped on, it feels like every year Maryland football gives you just enough hope um, to think that this year's different and they've made strides, and they're going to win all the games that they're supposed to win. They're not going to have bad losses like this, especially at home, during homecoming, and then they go out and lay an egg. And this year was the year that these guys were supposed to make a run. Uh, the team, for the first time under Loxley, we're talking about Big Ten championships. You can't lose this game and then talk about Big Ten championships. So where do you see the state of this program right now? I mean, they still have some opportunities to do some good things this season, some things that haven't been done in a while, but it feels like they're almost going to come with an asterisk. Like, yeah, they won eight games, but it should have been nine. Uh, it's a great point, and they're going to have to live with that. Now, you can make up for the Illinois loss with a big win yeah. over a Penn State or a Michigan. A tall order, but... You saw what they did in the first half against Ohio State, and, and, and really for two and a half, three quarters, and we've seen them do that before. We saw them take Michigan down to the wire in Ann Arbor last year. They get that game at home. So if you're able to get one of those two wins, then I think that certainly lessens the blow a lot against Illinois. And, you know, you, you're going to have sometimes, you're going to have those games but with what Maryland's building towards, with what they did against Ohio State for a while, this should have been a win bottom line. And they're not at the point where they can have a loss like this and it's not as exaggerated, if you were. It's not as blown up. It is blown up right now because they're trying to build something and they have been doing something special, but then they have this happen. And it's, it's a sign that, well, you're still not there yet because the sign of a team that's really on its way wouldn't lose that game. And, and I, I don't know, again, I, I'm not in that locker room. I don't know whether there was a hangover against Ohio State. I don't know if uh, you know the fact that a bye was upcoming, that they were overlooking Illinois. I mean, it, it's hard to believe that they would be overlooking them, Zach, in the, in the case that, or in the sense that you're playing for a third straight winning season. So a win gives you six wins. So that would, you know, if you finish six and six, that's a winning season um, by by definition, even though we, you know, 500 doesn't seem like it is. But it's your third straight winning season, and you become bowl eligible. And you go into the bye on a high note, on a positive note. 
So it's hard to think that they just came into the game thinking either Illinois is going to lay down or we don't have to give our the the maximum effort. I, it's hard to believe, but it's a possibility. But they should not – again, they shouldn't have lost the game despite the guys that were out. Um, they should have taken care of business. And, again, I, I think to your point, uh, you, you mentioned this, though. They did have their moments in the game. It wasn't all bad, but it just wasn't consistent. That Prather fumble was big. You had some critical – you had some critical uh, penalties that did not help on that drive after the Prather fumble that added to that all added salt in the wound that allowed them to score there. You know, a couple of that was a couple of the other things that we talked about. Uh, I think a poor call on the uh, on the onside kick, whether they recover or not, I don't think that was the right call there. Um, you know, unless they saw something, and I, I haven't seen the press conference yet from from Mike uh, from Mike Loxley as to you know if if he how he explained why he went for it. Maybe you know Zach, but um, yeah, that all adds up. Yeah, I'm not sure if he addressed that or not. I know, yeah, he... I, I know, I think he did, but I uh, in a headline that I saw, but I didn't get a chance to to read the uh, the script, the transcript. Yeah, I know he talked about the third down run call, and it was basically we saw a look that we liked, and we went with it. And I still don't like that explanation that late in the game. It's one thing if it's the third quarter, but when it's fourth quarter, game on the line, your kicker has not been consistent, you need to throw the ball there. Sorry, yeah. my yeah. dog barking now. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I I hear you. And, you know, it's uh, – and you and I just talked before we, we started this was that, you know, just when, you know, Maryland gets momentum and they're, they're 4-0 or they're 5-0 and and they have a big game – and they had a big game against Ohio State the week before, but this was a big game for the reasons we mentioned. Oh, and it was homecoming, by the way. So it's homecoming, a chance to have a third to secure a third straight winning season and secure a third straight bowl berth, and you know all that goes out the door. So again, this gets uh, you know this gets exaggerated there. Um, so that, that's why it hurts, and then you have to sit on it. Now, the only good thing from this is that if anybody was getting too big, too high. Uh, about themselves or about the team, uh, they were brought back to life, and they're going to have to sit on it for a while uh, before they come back and and get to try to uh, overcome that uh, against uh, against Northwestern and get back on the on the winning track. Yeah, you've got five games to prove that this was an anomaly and not not a really worrying sign for the future. So you come out five games and really play strong, and like you said, knock off one of the big boys that's still on your schedule. It, this season probably feels different. It's still going to feel like a missed opportunity here, but it's going to lessen that blow a little bit. Yeah, and they, um, yeah, and, and so what it'll be, and I think Loxley said this after the game on the on the radio, is that it, this is going to be a great test of the character of the team yep. and, and how they respond. Uh, and I think they should respond well, but I, I just, uh, if there was a letdown there for some reason mentally, uh, that's disappointing because there was a lot to play for and that shouldn't have happened. And they should have been pissed off about them throwing away their opportunity against Ohio State to yeah. be there right at the end. Frankly, Zach, they should have been pissed off and took it out on Illinois, and they didn't. Yeah, Maryland, like Lossley talks a lot about the standard. This obviously didn't live up to the standard, but if you want to prove that the standard is still alive and well, you got five games to do that. So we're going to flip our attention to basketball. We, we had planned to talk about basketball regardless of Maryland's performance football-wise, but uh, it's a good departure. I know a lot uh, basketball season's on a lot of people's minds, not just because of the bye week, but with the bye, uh, we're probably not going to get a chance to talk basketball a lot before the season starts in a few weeks, so we're going to go ahead and do that. 
Um, just as a little recap of last year, uh, Maryland finished 22 and 13, 11 and 9 in the in the Big Ten. Um, that was fifth place in the conference. They were an eight seed in the NCAA tournament. They beat West Virginia in the round of 64 and lost to one seed Alabama in the round of 32. So from last year's roster, you did have a few players leave. Don Carey and Patrick Emelian have graduated. Um, there were three three major players who left in the transfer portal. Hakeem Hart went to Villanova. Ian Martinez went to Utah State, and Ike Cornish is at Ohio now. Um, two departures off the coaching staff. Tony Skin is now the head coach at George Mason, and Grant Billmeyer now the head coach at NJIT. Um, now we can look at who's back and who is new. So Jameer Young... Dante Scott and Julian Reese are all back, which was a major coup for Kevin Willard. It didn't heading into the offseason, it didn't feel like all three of those guys would be back. Young and Scott both tested the NBA waters and both ended up coming back. There was a chance, you know, you talk about transfer portal, you talk about NBA, you know, will all these three guys be back? That gives you a really solid core to build around. Jahari Long, Noah Bachelor, Kalen Swatton, Roger also back. So Mike that's a big deal to get kind of your big three back from last year. Still obviously going to be holes, probably shooting guard and small forward. But to get your point guard, your power forward, and your center back, um, your three best players from last season, that's that's really big. It is, and uh, that's something to build on for this season. And when you've got freshmen coming into the fold that are expected to uh, make some big contributions uh, to have – those veterans out there and guys to lean on uh, both on the court and off the court as well. Uh, that is really big. And, you know, I think for Kevin Willard, that's got to be a comfort um, in the fact that you know, really overachieved in his first year as head coach at Maryland uh, than, than what we were expecting. And then, you know, goes out there and, uh, or is able to go out there and, and have a level of security uh, with, uh, with this team uh, with some of those guys back, as you talked about. Yeah, I think getting Jameer Young back may be the biggest one to get your point guard, experienced oh, guy. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to enter as one of the best point guards in the Big Ten, if not the best. So that's huge. You, you mentioned the freshman class. Willard called it the most talented freshman class he's ever had as a coach. Uh, Deshaun Harris-Smith, Jamie Kaiser, Jonathan Lamothe, and also Braden Pierce are your freshman class. I know the reports out of camp are that Harris-Smith looks fantastic. Um, good chance he starts as the shooting guard for this year's team. From what I've heard, great defender, very physical, um, and loves to drive to the basket, draw fouls. He's very good at that. Um, finishing inside is strong. Um, so headed up against a lot of the big guys in the Big Ten, um, he will not back down. And, you know, just me thinking through how they're going to play, you look at Jameer Young and how strong he is on the pick and roll. Now you add Harris Smith to get Julian Reese and Dante Scott up at the top of the key, setting picks for either popping or rolling. That's two guys in Harris Smith and Young who are legitimate threats on the drive. And at least for Young, you have to respect his outside shot. Harris Smith, not sure about his. I do know Jamie Kaiser, talk about a sharpshooter. That's a guy they really hope can develop into their best threat from long range, which is something they've been lacking the last few years. Well, remember last year, they, they started trying to throw up a bunch of threes and quickly Willard figured out, yeah, we don't have those kind of guys to do that. 
And I've long lamented uh, on here and elsewhere that Maryland's lacked two solid three-point shooters on a roster for the longest of times. You know, have we ever had two guys that have shot from 40%? Well, I think we ended up having it late. By the time of late in the year, a guy I think exceeded, I'm trying to remember. But generally speaking, you know, we, we're lucky if we have one guy at 40% and the next best guy is like at 35 or 34 um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean that's that's going to be big, and that's something he wants to do. But to, to Willard's credit, he adjusted quickly and got away from throwing up a bunch of threes as the season went on. Yeah, well, Ian Martinez had like a random, really hot year from three last year. Of all the guys on the roster, you know how you Don Carey, who was a sharpshooter at Georgetown, came in really flat. Dante Scott still has not been able to replicate the success he had from beyond the arc as a freshman. Um, Julian Reese, we saw him attempt some threes in his freshman year, but he really didn't do any of that last year. Right. We'll see if the coaching staff allows him to expand his game. I know that Willard has mentioned he's going to play some power forward this year. Well, look, uh, in terms of playing in the NBA, Reese is going to have to develop a, a, a three-point shot, and let's hope that he has to an extent. With Dante Scott, and, and I've always been a Scott fan, and I'm usually not a fan of a particular player. Uh, I, I'm a team guy. But I've always been a big fan of Scott, who started as a freshman, was unheralded, I think, that year. But he hopefully has developed either a mid-range jumper or he's gotten back some of that three-point stroke because his game is very one-dimensional and they need more out of him offensively when he's on the floor. So I'm hoping, and I've got to think that Willard and the staff talked to him and said, you know, we, we've got to improve some area. If it's not from three, it's got to be a mid-range jumper to compliment you posting up inside. Right. He's got that hook shot, which is a major weapon. But when teams can key on it, which we saw last year a little bit towards the end, you got to have something to go off of that, whether it's a, a step back or whatever it is from mid-range. Um, yeah, his game needs to be more well-rounded. And hopefully he got some good feedback from the NBA scouts when he went through that process. Um, in the transfer portal, they did add three um, key players. Jordan Geronimo from... Indiana, Mady Traore from New Mexico State, and Chance Stevens from Loyola Marymount. Geronimo is a guy I think you're going to see maybe play a very similar role to Patrick Emelian last year. You're hoping that he can take the next step as a player. Didn't do a whole lot in limited time at Indiana, but has a similar build. He's even a little bit bigger. And I know Willard has talked this year about he feels like this team can play size-wise in the Big Ten, and he felt like they struggled a little bit with that last year with Julian Reese playing probably too much center against a lot of these Big Ten teams. Although, as we've mentioned here, he did play pretty well against some of the best centers in the country, um, but at times it was inconsistent, and he got into a lot of foul trouble. They're hoping to protect him more this year, but I think Geronimo is a guy you're looking at to play a more physical role wherever it is, whether it's at a four or a small five, um, and hopefully be better there. And Traore, big guy, kind of a project. You're hoping that he develops into maybe what they think Swanton Roger is this year, which is a legitimate, uh, legitimate producer at center. Well, and he's the guy that I'm going to be focused on to see you know, how much progress he's made. Uh, because if we're going to talk about being able to match up, or I should say if we're going to be able to talk about having the size to match up against uh, other team size of the Big Ten, then Swanton Rogers got to be a guy that has himself a solid year. You know, you mentioned Traore, and uh, yeah, I mean, a, a project that hopefully a guy that can give you a little bit. With Geronimo, he's 6'6", but I think he's got pretty long arms, so he's got a long yeah. wingspan. You're right, he is physical, uh, very good defensive player. And I think offensively, you could count on him for seven or eight points. 
So uh, he reminds you of um, I'm trying to remember the the from just a couple of years ago at a Mount St. Joe who ended up transferring to Marquette for his uh, oh Daryl Morcel Daryl Morcel uh, maybe maybe a, a bit of a Daryl Morcel type player um, out of uh, out of Geronimo. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking a million for him as far as what he was able to do last year. So hopefully, and you talk about Grant Billmeyer leaving the coaching staff, you hope that doesn't have a big impact because I know he was like the big man whisperer. That was kind of his thing. So you hope that the coaching staff is able to still make those sorts of strides because I think one of the most impressive things last year was Patrick Emelian's development. He came in pretty unheralded under the radar and developed into a really strong producer as a backup center. Well, and Julian Reese as well, but and, and yeah. it wasn't necessarily pretty early on. Uh, I was wondering, you know, we're not seeing it out of Reese, and and you mentioned Biltmeyer and his success with big men at Seton Hall and in the Big East. He was lauded for that, and then and then it started clicking, and Reese had himself uh, a, a year where you saw the uh, the development. But you're right, Emilian, who doesn't have nearly as much talent as Reese, he also that got better. So you're right, and I was curious if if that's something that. Uh, you know, that Willard was going to look at in terms of assistant coaches in any way. Was he going to try to bring in a guy uh, that had experience with big men and success like Biltmeyer did? He didn't do that, but I think part of that had to do with needing a guy like Jones um, to recruit the DMV. Yeah, man, Mike Jones, a massive addition to the coaching staff. I mean, I was really high on him when Virginia Tech hired him two years ago out of DeMatha. Um, He was there two years, and Obviously has the local ties, well-respected in the area, going to be big for the local recruiting. Willard knows how important that is. All of his assistant coach hires, for the most part, have been with that in mind. And Greg Manning Jr. also promoted to assistant coach, so he's going to be on the bench this year. They've really liked him. He was a carryover from Turgeon's staff. Correct. And uh, he's a legacy type guy, if you will, yeah. and knows the program. Well, it's good to have somebody like that in, in the, in the, on the staff, I should say, that knows the program, knows the history, knows the tradition, and uh, can impart that. Yeah, so when you're looking at the rotation for this year, obviously there's going to be a lot of players getting time. It's going to take Willard a little bit of time to figure out with all the new pieces who plays where. You are looking at Jameer Young's going to be your starting point guard, and then Dante Scott and Julian Reese are going to be there as well. Whether that's at three and four or four and five, it's probably going to start out four and five. Maybe you find Swanton Rodgers... Roger is able to play starter minutes at center. Probably ideally that would happen and everybody else can fit around them. But for the most part, I think that's how things are going to shake out. And then shooting guard and small forward are probably going to be a mix of Deshaun Harris-Smith, Kaiser, Lamothe, and then some of the transfers as well. Yeah, if you're playing big, then Swanton Rogers in that lineup with Reese and Scott. If you're not, then Rogers out and the guys you just talked about are, are in. Um, right. Yeah, but I, as I always say, though, too, the the backup backup point guard for those valuable minutes that's uh, that's important, and uh, they'll be looking to uh, to a guy like Long to provide some of that as well. Right, getting Jahari Long back is good. Obviously, has familiarity with Willard from Seton Hall, so you know you you hope you don't have to rely on him for major minutes or production, but having right. that stability at point guard definitely key, especially for a team that's going to have so many young skilled players that are going to be needing to get the ball distributed to them. Because that was a problem under Turgeon. We had some really good point guards, but when we had to uh, spell those guys, uh, we had issues with a guy that could really handle the ball and, and distribute uh, when, the, when the star was out. Yeah, at times you had Dante Scott bringing the ball up the court, and that was not, not always the prettiest. Dante Scott, very athletic, but at the time, he was about 20 or 30 pounds heavier than he is now. So, 
Yeah, uh, obviously point guard's going to be key. Maryland has two experienced options, and Young, obviously, one of the best in the Big Ten. Right, and and just going through here quickly, um, very first game, Tuesday, November 7th, Mount St. Mary's in College Park, and then they play in that Asheville tournament that coming Friday, uh, November 10th, and then the Sunday, November 12th in Asheville, North Carolina. So those are the first couple of games, and then – that Friday game at Villanova and the Gavit tip-off games in Philadelphia at Finneran Pavilion. Uh, that's going to be an exciting game, and we'll uh, we'll see. Well, we were talking rankings before the season started, and, well, Villanova's made that top 25. Yeah, they're uh, 22nd, 23rd. You said – I think you said I think 22nd. 22nd. Yeah. Yeah, so Maryland – the AP poll came out earlier today. Uh, Maryland did not – finish in the top 25, which I think we were both surprised about. They received, I think, 34 votes. They came in at 30th in the country. Um, so maybe a little disappointing, but preseason polls obviously mean nothing. I, was, I don't know if UConn was even ranked last year. If they were, it was very low. Um, Ken Palm. You're right. Yeah, you're right. If they were ranked, yeah. uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't by much. Yeah, so Ken Palm did release uh, their preseason rankings as well. The analytics say that Maryland is the 22nd best team in the country, which that's kind of where I expected them to be ranked. Villanova is ranked 23rd in Ken Palm. So as you mentioned, that that game is going to be a, a good litmus test early in the year to see where this Maryland team is. And then about a month later, you've got UCLA on the road, which is going to be a really big game. Yeah, let's hope it's better than it was in College Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was tough to swallow, but hey, I mean UCLA's really good, really good team last year, and uh, that 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 happens. That happens from time to time, and you know Maryland, I'd like to think had enough talent to not allow it to be that bad. But you know those games happen. We we you've been around long enough as a fan, as a, as a media member. Those uh, those games happen, but uh, yeah, non conference wise. That was certainly something when Willard was hired that uh, Damon Evans, the athletic director, won. It was a tougher non-conference schedule. And you certainly got that last year, and you get that to an extent this year. Yeah, he mentioned Willard did. Uh, he he needs to. He doesn't want to make the non-conference schedule tougher than it was last year, but he does want to space out those big games because he felt like they they were too bunched together last year, which which didn't help the team and their development as you would like early in the season. Got him a little bogged down, a little too early. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I don't know how much of that you can – I mean, you can control some of that uh, in terms of the scheduling. Sometimes with the tournaments, though, and who's in the tournaments, that's not True. always easy to do. Uh, but I guess his point is if you're in a tournament one weekend, you're coming out of that against a really good competition – you're going to try not to schedule a really good team that next week. Yeah, I think they had Tennessee and UCLA back-to-back last year. So that 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 sort of stuff, I mean, credit to him for uh, for being aggressive. And I don't think it necessarily hurt the team in the long run because they obviously overperformed. But, yeah, spacing those out a little bit is probably the best idea. It does look like the Big Ten's going to be strong, as usual this year. Uh, Ken Palm's rankings has... Maryland 5th, Purdue's number 1, Michigan State 13, Illinois 19, Wisconsin 20. And I did look, everybody except Penn State and Minnesota is ranked in the top 60. So it's going to be a dogfight as it is every year, especially on the road. Well, two things I know I was impressed with, and I'm trying to remember his name now, the uh, the coach of Penn State that got a, a job at Notre Dame. 
Um, that was a big loss because I thought uh, was it Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury or yeah. Shrew- uh, yeah, Mike Shrewsbury? Yeah, he did. I thought he did a really good job at Penn State uh, last year, and obviously got him a job at Notre Dame. That's a big loss. Um, Juwan Howard is still is out indefinitely. He had heart surgery um, uh, several weeks ago, and uh, he's he seems to be doing well, but he's not. I don't believe that he's back in any major capacity coaching that program right now. So that's Phil Martelli, who they're in good hands with. But you know they lost Dickinson, and uh, that that's a program that they're. I think they're reeling right now, frankly. And this is a big year for Howard because if they if they drop off, I think uh, there's going to be he's going to be on the hot seat. Um, if not a minimum, a warm seat. I just know those two teams are ones that I don't think will per- be presenting as big an issue. Um, of course, you had the North Carolina transfer a point guard that then didn't get in for academics uh, that they lost out on. But then, you know, when you look at Wisconsin last year, they had a big bounce back year from the year before and, uh, you know, played a lot better. And, you know, the Purdue's Purdue, Iowa's Iowa. You know, those teams are pretty solid. Ohio State, correct me if I'm wrong, Ohio State, I think, had a youngish team that ought to be pretty darn good this year as well. Yeah, I think they're ranked in Ken Palm, and I'd have to look. I think they're ranked just below Maryland. So they're, I think okay. they're top 30 at least, maybe top 25. Um, yeah, so they, they look good. And like, like I said, any of these teams on the road, I mean, even Nebraska on the road, and Nebraska looks like they have a decent team this year. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I think they're ranked somewhere in the top 50, I want to say, in Ken Palm. And yeah, so and Rutgers is blue collar, you know. Yeah. You're, you're going to get a tough game from them. Uh, especially at the rack. Yep. Pretty much all of these teams have size and they know how to use it. So it it is going to be, it is going to be interesting this season. Um, Obviously Maryland with a chance to, to do something special uh, once again this year and capitalize and build off of a year that they did exceed expectations. But now for Willard, he's set those expectations pretty high um, and we'll see if he's able to deliver again. And this team certainly has a chance to do it. Ton of talent on this team uh, and, and I'm really excited to see these freshmen and getting the three guys back is obviously huge, but these freshmen are going to be the future of the program. Really excited to see, especially Harris Smith and Kaiser. Well, and the X factor is the transfer portal. So you hope that everything goes well this year and that if yeah. these guys, if you can keep them for another year, yep. um, that that's important, whether it's to the NBA or another team you want to keep, you know, well, you can't control the NBA, but with, with another team, you can you can control that to an extent. So hopefully they're, uh, you know, the the success that they have this year is um, one where it'll want to keep these guys coming back because you have to recruit your own team these days. You know, you, you have do. to re- excuse me, you have to re-recruit your own team these days. And to Willard's credit, he's done a pretty good job. Even when he he first came on board, he was able to keep a lot of the guys from the Turgeon era that were set to be key contributors. So to this point, he's got those relationships built and proved that he can keep guys that are maybe on the fringe of staying or going. Yeah, Maryland's fortunate they got him with the coaches that within the context or within the box of coaches that they were going to hire because they weren't going to hire certain other coaches, uh, even though you know those names were out there. It was ridiculous that you know it was being reported on. You and I knew better and some others knew better. <laughs> they got really fortunate with Willard that it's a job that he wanted it's a, a, a coach or Willard's a coach that is a good in-game and X's and O's coach, but he also could go out and recruit and to have both. And I, and I, you know, I've said last year a number of times, Zach, to you and Pat, that I want a good in-game X's and O's coach that we didn't have with Turgeon. Um, but here we've got a guy that, that can do both. 
where, hey, if you've got a great X's and O's coach, maybe he's not the greatest recruiter. Fine, you got assistants that can do that. But he he's both. He's both. And I think the biggest thing with Willard, more than any of that, he gets Maryland. He understands the program. He understands the expectation. He understands the fan base. And he understands what he needs to do to win here and to recruit here, which is surround yourself with local good recruiters like he's done with Mike Jones and he did with Tony Skin and David Cox is on the staff. So that's all things to look forward to this year. Basketball season starts in a few weeks. We hope everybody enjoys the football bye week. They can't lose if they're on a bye, so that's the good news. They're going to be working before they take on Northwestern in a couple weeks. We'll be back to preview that next week. In the meantime, be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, all of the articles we have up on Maryland basketball and football. Join us on the message boards, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, and follow us on Twitter at TalkingTerpsBSL. Until next week, for my co-host Mike Popovic, I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terps.